Thank you for joining me today on Bible Foundations. I'm Jerry Smythe, your host, and we're really excited as we continue our study together about the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see in him the Savior of the world, the one that was promised as a deliverer to deliver us from the power of Satan and sin and selfishness and bring us back into a living relationship with God the Father through God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told the Pharisee, you must be born again. You need a new life. You're spiritually dead. And that's the problem that sin has caused for every person, you and I included. We cannot come to God except that God would show us the way. And he's shown us the way in the Bible, and he is the only way. His is the only way. He has not given more than one way, and he tells us that the only way to him is through Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved from the power of sin, from the power of Satan, from eternal death, and brought back into a reconciled position with God, the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ came to set man free. Now, a freedom that law could not give. And law was given to show men their sinfulness. We've been shown, our, we've been shown the law from the Old Testament, and we saw very critically how we break God's law, even though we try to fulfill it. Now, Christ fulfilled the whole law. He indwells the believer, the one who believes and gives freedom and power to do what is right, not under duty of the law, but unto joy of the Lord. Because we're separated from God by sin, man is continually trying to make himself presentable to God. God will accept me because of this, because of that, or because of something else. And many people look at the law of God not only as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, but as something that we must live up to, only to find that we fail. Now God gives us the expectation as his standard of what he expects of us and how it, what it takes for us to satisfy his holiness. But the more we look at it, are we free from covetousness? Is there a person who has never stolen? Is there a person who has never lied? Well, if you have lied, my friend, what does that make you? Before God, it makes you a liar. Before God, stealing makes you a thief. I don't care how small it is. There's no such thing as a little white lie, and there's no such thing as a small theft. And the Bible tells us that to break one portion of the law is to be guilty of all. God wants us to understand that there's more to this thing than just doing the best we can. Now our flesh wants to do and it wants to earn a favor from God. We have a hard time comprehending what God means when he says that salvation is a gift. You see, even little children learn what it takes to please us as parents. They learn the laws that we set out for them as parameters, and those are very good things, but they also know how to conform to the situation. They know how to conform to the law in order to meet our immediate standards without any change in the heart. You'll remember the story of the little boy who was told, to go stand in the corner while well, he went over in the corner and he sat down, took his little chair and he was comfortable there. And his mother said, I want you to stand up, son. I want you to stand in the corner and until you recognize that you need to change your attitude. Well, he stood up and then they heard him murmur, well, I'm standing up on the outside, but I'm sitting down on the inside. Well, that's the way we are. See, God's law does not create a change in the heart. 
It shows us our need for a change, but it does not produce the godliness that we would like it to produce no matter how hard we try, because we are human beings and we fail. And that's why Jesus came to be the one who could live the law and demonstrate to us that he is God and that he can be our substitute. He can stand in the place of God's righteousness for us. And our faith in him is counted by God as righteousness. God credits to us by his grace what he wants us to understand about himself. He credits righteousness to us. We cannot earn it. We're saved by God's provision alone. He gives us in his mercy not what we deserve. He gives us what we need. And the need is someone who can fulfill his righteousness. Now let's see today what God will teach us through his word. Right out of Mark chapter 7 verses 1 through 9 and then 14 to 23. Before we read those first five passages of scripture, let me ask you a question. Have you ever bought a used car? You know, one of those that looks good and nice and clean. Then you may have discovered, perhaps too late, that the only part of the car that was any good was the paint job. Well, had you really known what was in the inside of the thing, you would never have bought it. You see, we can't always look inside things, but God does. God sees everything. And he's trying to teach us that we try to put on a good-looking appearance, but he knows what our hearts are really like. You see, man is a sinner, and he needs God and is helpless to save himself, and man can only come to God according to God's will and plan. Now, God is revealing his will and plan through the Lord Jesus' life right here on earth. Read along with me in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashen hands, they found fault. They had a critical attitude toward Jesus. Why did they have a critical attitude? Well, let's look on and see how legalistic these people were. You see, for the verse 3 tells us, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not holding to the tradition of the elders. They had lots of traditions about the washing of hands before you eat. Now, it's a good thing to wash your hands before you eat, but here they had a tradition. It had been a law that was added to the laws of God. Let's read verse 4. And when they came from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Now, based on all of this, they asked the question that we find in verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashen hands? Now, it's important to understand what the lifestyle of these people were. We're talking particular about the Pharisees. They were the ones that added to God's word, if you'll remember. They added to the law of God. Now, a typical Pharisee, wore on his forehead a little leather box containing scripture verses. Now, just what would you think of a person who came into your presence, perhaps into your church or uh, into your workplace, and he had a little leather box that was tied onto his forehead, and you asked him what it was, and he says, well, it's scripture verses. What would you think of him? Well, he had another box attached to his arm by a leather thong. You see, God had given the Israelites instructions 
to bind his laws on their hands and put his laws between their eyes. Now they had taken God literally and were wanting everyone to see their observance of this law. It was an outward appearance. When the typical Pharisee gave money to the poor, he made sure that everyone was aware that he was going to give a great amount. And so they could watch him and they would watch him deposit his gift in, his, in the treasury. He liked to pray in public also. He liked to pray in public so that everyone could see his piety and devotion. You see, the things he was doing, observing the law, giving, praying, were not in themselves offensive to the Lord. It was the attitude of the heart that was wrong. He was not doing these things because he believed and trusted God to save him from their sin, from his sins. Instead, he thought he was good enough to please God by the things he was doing. He wanted the people to see just how good he was. Now, the Pharisees disapproved of Jesus' disciples because they did not do many of the things which the Pharisees said were necessary for a person to be accepted by God. The scribes and the Pharisees had added many rules to God's words. They taught that a person must follow these rules in order to be accepted by God. These Jewish leaders were very proud that they followed these rules, even though they often broke the rules themselves. The Pharisees had added literally hundreds of laws to the original laws given by Moses. God had given these laws to Moses, and he'd put, brought them down on the tab tables of stone for the children of Israel, and that's been passed on down now to you and I. Now, nobody was able to keep all of these laws, but the Pharisees lorded it over people and condemned them when they broke the law, even though the Pharisees were committing the same offenses themselves. They had no compassion on sinners. They only made burdens heavier and more unbearable by adding the load of guilt and condemnation. <clears throat> they were truly hypocrites. They prided themselves in doing all the outward things, such as washing their hands and their pots and their tables before they ate, but they did not realize or care that God saw the evil in their own heart. Now, there are many people like this today who want to make quite a show of their religion, criticizing those who aren't quite like them. Yet in their own hearts, they themselves are still under Satan's rule. This is what we mean by hypocrisy, and this is what we mean when we say once again, man is a sinner, and he needs God because he's helpless to save himself. But let's look at what Jesus says to these who are asking him about the unwashed hands and all the traditions that they had added to the law. In verse 6, he answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah the prophes prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus quoted the Old Testament. He quoted the prophet Isaiah, who had spoken about the Jews. They said many good things about God with their lips, but in their hearts they did not love God, nor believe him or obey his word. Now you see, man can only come to God according to God's will and plan, and God continues to reveal that will and plan to us through the Scripture. Let's read verses 7 through 9. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold to the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such things ye do. And then in verse 9 he gets to the heart of the matter, and he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. 
Now, man's religious traditions today often govern his directions and his patterns of life and sometimes even his lifestyle far more than what God says is his law and his expectations. We do certain rituals. We say certain prayers automatically, sometimes repetitiously, over and over and over again. And we bow ourselves before idols, if you will, that are man-made rather than bowing our hearts to God. And the scripture has told us thou shalt have no other gods before us. He says we're not to make any graven images. And that means inventing a God that is not a God of the Bible. Many people have invented a loving God who wouldn't send anybody to hell, who wouldn't allow any sickness or death or evil things to happen without recognizing that all of those things are a result of man's sin. You see, God did not accept the worship of Jews who did not mean it with their hearts. God rejected them. They did not come to God agreeing with him that they were sinners and trusting in his promises regarding a deliverer. You see, there are many still today who teach their own ideas instead of the word of God. Many religions today teach rules that are not found in the Bible. But people are taught that if they follow these rules and do what these religious organizations teach, they will be accepted by God. Now, God says such things such teachings are useless. Those people that say they were following and worshiping God, but they're not doing it. Their hearts are far from of God. Those who trust in keeping the rules will not be accepted by God. It's very wrong to add or to take away from God's word. And he's told us that in the book of Deuteronomy. And he's told us that in the Psalms and in the Proverbs and in the book of Matthew and also in the book of Revelation. Thou shalt not add to nor take from these words. This is God's word, and God says his word is settled forever in heaven. And that's why what he says just keeps happening as he's promised. The scribes and Pharisees also put great emphasis on not eating certain, certain foods. They thought that this too would help them be accepted by God. But Jesus knew their hearts, and he makes clear what his standard is as we read verses 14 through 19 in Mark chapter 7. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. Here's Jesus, God the Son, the Son of God, teaching people. He wants us to understand what the real condition of our heart is. So he exposes it just for what it is. In verse 15, he says, There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him are those things that defile a man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying if you have ears to be taught, if you have a heart that's teachable, listen up. I'm trying to show you what God would have you to see about the true condition of mankind. Then in verse 17, he said, And when he had entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, are ye also without understanding? Do you not perceive that whatsoever, whatsoever, whatever thing from without that entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into his belly, and it goeth out into the draught, and, pur and purging all meats. He's saying that the things that come into the body, such as food and such things like that, they just pass on out. Jesus made it very clear that it wasn't what we eat that makes us unacceptable to God, but the sinful things that God sees in our hearts. 
How can what a person eats or refuses to eat change what is in his heart? What we eat or don't eat will never change our sinful hearts, and it will never make us acceptable to God. Let's move on and see that God is everywhere all the time, and he knows all about everything, and he knows how to instruct us in this very type of a situation. Let's read Mark 7, verses 20 through 23. And he said, That which cometh out of a man, that defileth him. For within, out of the heart of men, precede evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Jesus is demonstrating his godliness here. He's demonstrating that he sees right into the heart of mankind as God the Father does. You see, God sees all the wicked things that are in our hearts. They are the things which make us unacceptable to God. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications and murders in our heart, thefts, the desire to steal, even if we don't carry it out. Or even if we've carried it out and then made restitution, that still doesn't satisfy God. How about covetousness? That which causes us to labor for greedy gain, to have just a little bit more. Then there's wickedness and deceit and sexual thoughts that are impure. Lasciviousness desire, lascivious desires. That for sexual fantasy, if you will. An evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. Jesus says all these evil things come from within, and this is what defiles a person. This is what shows us what we really are before God. This is what God sees, and he cannot accept us. My friend, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll probably find something on that list, if not many things, that show us what's really going on in our hearts. Covetousness is what seems to consume us so much in this day and in our desire to gain material goods. But let's remind ourselves of what Deuteronomy 8, verse 18 says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Do you have a good job? Are you earning? Well, my friend, God has given you the power to earn. And we need to keep in mind what James chapter 2, verse 10 says, Concerning this matter of covetousness, you see, if we've broken just one of God's commandments, we're guilty of all of them. Oh, my friend, God sees us as sinners. And man is a sinner, and we need God because we're helpless to save ourselves. We are helpless before him unless we come to him recognizing our helplessness as helpless sinners and realize that only he can save us from the power and our slavery to sin. Then we are helplessly and hopelessly lost. Let's look at another example in Scripture found in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 12. In our setting here, Jesus is telling a parable. A parable is a story about things in this world, but it teaches us something about God and our relationship with him. There are many parables in the teachings of Jesus, examples, living examples of the realities that Jesus was teaching. Verse 9 of Luke chapter 18 tells us, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Jesus began to give this parable to give us an example which should speak to the heart of those who were religious or considered themselves righteous and that yet they despised, despised others. Verse 10 says, 
two men went up into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And then there was the publican we read about now in verse 13. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but he smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus gives us this example in this parable of this one who thought so highly of himself that God would accept him as he was for all the right things that he was doing. He was a proud man, trusting in his own goodness and the things which he did to please God. He thought he was good enough for God to accept just because of what he did. This man, the Pharisee, who thought so highly of himself, was just like Cain. Cain came to God in his own way, trusting in the things which he himself had grown from the ground. But just as God rejected Cain, God also rejected this Pharisee. Now let me ask you a question. Is the Pharisee's position before God any different from the person today who relies on his own good works to save him? No, indeed. Both are separated from God by their sins. Now, Satan knows that men and women today are still able to be controlled through their pride, just like this Pharisee was. The Pharisee believed that in himself he had sufficient goodness to please God. How many people today are relying on their good works to save them? Let me ask you, are you relying on your good things to save you? Now, as I knock on doors and invite people to church in my community, I find many people are going to church. At least they claim to. You ask their neighbor and they don't always go. I hope you're not that kind of a hypocrite. But there are very many who claim the church when they're confronted with the things of God right to my face. And I've asked many people, and perhaps I've even asked you, why God should let you into his heaven. And I've heard some of these following reasons from your lips, perhaps. First of all, people tell me, well, I've lived a good life. I've done the best I can. I belong to a church so-and-so. And in fact, I've been baptized. I've worked hard in this organization that's a benevolent, benevolent organization. I give money to the church or I give money to charity. And after all, I've been a good provider for my family. And I regularly do things to help the poor or provide for those less fortunate. I remember one man telling me in our community about a, a fire that he was involved in, a prairie fire. And uh, this man's wife fell to the ground and prayed and asked God to save them. And God did that. He caused the reverse uh, wind or caused the fire to die. And I asked this individual, why do you think God did that for you? And his answer was, well, I'm really a good person. Many people are relying on their own goodness, their own standard of righteousness. And they do not believe God will judge them for the sin that's in their, in their heart. We've already looked at what God says is in our hearts. It's lasciviousness, it's idolatry, it's adultery, it's evil thinking, and it's covetousness. Well, we pride ourselves, and some people pride ourselves, saying that they don't smoke, they don't drink, and they don't lie or steal. I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. You know how that goes. Self-righteousness, my friend, that's all it is. It's not acceptable to God. 
Most people think, well, at least I'm not as bad as this person or that person. But God does not give us the license to compare ourselves with other people. God says that all have sinned and come short of his glory. We do not meet the standards of God no matter how many good things we do. All of us are separated from him, and there is nothing anyone can do by his own efforts to reunite himself or make himself acceptable with God. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, we're told that we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's how God sees us, my friend. He sees right into the heart. You see, man is a sinner, and we need God because we're helpless to save ourselves. But we come to God by faith. That's the only thing God can accept, is coming to him by faith when we agree with him about our sin. And we come to him by faith. And that's all that pleases God. And that's the only way God can give salvation. Look at the example in the publican. And the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven. But he smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. Now in our time together on Bible Foundations, we've had a brief look at the men that Jesus called to follow him. Some were fishermen. And some were of other walks of life. And there was one who was hated by all of the Jewish people of his day because he was a tax collector. Tax collectors are also called publicans in that day. One of those that Jesus called to be his disciple was Levi. He was also called Matthew. And he's written the first of the New Testament books. Do you remember what the people thought of this tax collector called Matthew? They hated them. Because most of the tax collectors took extra money from the people and they put it in their pockets and they were stealing from the people. Now this tax collector standing there calling on God to be merciful to him did not try to hide his sinfulness from God. He saw himself as God saw him. He agreed with God about his own sinfulness. He knew that if God did not send a savior, he would spend all of eternity being punished by God for his sins. But this man trusted in the Lord as his Savior, and God had mercy on him, and he forgave him and accepted him. He was like Abel, who agreed with God and trusted only in God to be his deliverer. You see, man can only come to God according to God's will and plan. You can't come to God your own way. You can only come to God God's way. Jesus summarizes this situation in verse 14. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. That is, the publican went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee, the religious leader. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The Pharisee wouldn't admit that he was a guilty and helpless sinner who needed God's mercy, so his sins were not forgiven by God. God rejected him because he rejected because he rejected as the unbelieving and rebellious Cain had rejected God's truth. But the tax collector or the publican was quite different. He believed God. He believed and he had faith and he pleased God and was saved because of it. You see, he recognized God as loving and merciful and he came with a repentant heart. He agreed with God with sin, about his sin. He believed God's word and admitted that he was a helpless sinner who could only be saved from God's judgment by the mercy of God. 
This tax collector deserved to be separated from God forever, forever. But because of God's love and mercy and his grace, he accepted the tax collector just as he accepted Abel, who simply trusted in God's word. You see, even though he may not have been very well liked, and even though, well, in fact, he was hated because he pocketed some of the money for himself, you see, and even though he had not done anything that men would call good, God will still accept a man if he comes to him by faith, trusting that Jesus is his Savior. Now make no mistake about it, my friend, we're not promoting unrighteous living or denying the duty of a believer to walk in obedience to God. What we're teaching here is that the only way for a man to be saved is by the grace of God through faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. God will accept a man on the basis of his faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior. And that's the only way that God will accept anyone. All the way through the scripture, we've seen that the only way to God is God's way. Jesus Christ is the only way that man can be made acceptable to God, is by coming to him as a helpless sinner, acknowledging our sin and placing our faith in Christ who satisfies God on our behalf. God will reject anyone who comes to him any other way. The only way to God is God's way. Join me again, my friend, on Bible Foundations as we see the exciting life of Christ showing us how to be reconciled to God.